0: are often set along the campaign trail for candidates to step in and to step in for their own demise. Some people around Jesus would have been great campaign directors. I'm very confident of that as uh, I've read through the Gospels like you have. We see the different things that are done by them as they were masters at setting traps for Jesus. They kept trying to get Him to trip up. And they had plenty of tricks up their sleeves for the demise of anyone who didn't agree with them. And there were plenty of people other than Jesus who had come along that didn't agree with what they had to say. and They didn't agree with how they read the law and how that was to be carried out. And so they were constantly doing this. We see that here in the text, in Matthew chapter 25, which we've been in for a couple of weeks now, but in this particular part, in verses 15 through 22, we see how they were doing all of this there. A trap has been set for Jesus. The Pharisees go to Jesus with a pointed question. And if you remember, the Pharisees are very jealous of Jesus. The attention that Jesus is getting and the popularity that He has among the people, the common people that are gathering around Him. He is not only teaching in in a brilliant kind of way, He is drawing them in with His sense of authority. He's not referring to anyone else's authority. He is speaking the very words that uh, God has given Him to say with great authority. And so the Pharisees go to Jesus with a very pointed question about whether or not taxes should be paid to the Roman government. To the emperor, as it is in our translation here today. Or to Caesar, as maybe you memorized it in Sunday school. They didn't really care which way Jesus answered it, knowing that there was no good way for him to do so. If he said no, then they would have him going on record as an insurrectionist. That he was against paying taxes, he was against the emperor, and you know what would happen to people like that. They would end up on crosses outside the city to show other people, other citizens, and and others who are uh, rebelling against the Roman government. What would happen to them if they were to do the same? No, you paid your dues, you paid your taxes, and that was the end of it. Jesus didn't answer there though. He does later. But if he had said yes, he would get into trouble with his fellow Jews for speaking in support of the Roman government. So Jesus was really not able to to give an answer either way that would get him out of the trap. And yet, he comes up with a way. The answer Jesus gives comes with this brilliant strategy. He sidesteps the trap masterfully by turning it back on the Pharisees. He says to them, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Wouldn't you love to be there when Jesus called these religious snobs and uh, these people who are giving him such a hard time, and they march through the city wanting everyone to look at them and to think how spiritual they are and uh, to to be able to recognize them for being these great um, spiritual giants. He says to them, hypocrites. Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? And they answered, The emperors. It is then that their jaws must have dropped and their faces contorted as they realized that they were now the ones in the trap. They had not been able to get Jesus to step into it. They stepped into it. Jesus had exposed them for doing something traitorous to the other Jews, carrying the coinage of their oppressor, of the Roman government. And you can kind of see the outline there of the emperor, and you can see the words that are written on there. The worst part... It was not the fact that the coin had an engraved image of Caesar. And again, this would be anathema for a Jew. Uh, One of the Ten Commandments is to not have any graven images. And here on this particular coin is the image of the emperor. But it is what is written under it that is most troublesome. You know how we have on our money, in God we trust Well, on this particular one it says, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. To carry that coin was to recognize that Caesar was your ruler. And Caesar was not only a ruler, he was a divine ruler. He was God, right there on the coin. Jesus wisely draws attention to the shame of carrying a coin, declaring someone other than God to be God. Jesus then answers their question. So He does go ahead and give them an answer. But it's not an answer they want to hear. He says to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's great answer isn't it this was a statement so direct and so powerful that we are still talking about it we still use it in our common English language and a lot of times it's used in the media or, or used in TV shows or movies people have no idea where it comes from and yet we still recognize it and still use it Jesus contrasted for them the difference between the possessions of the emperor, of Caesar, and the possessions of God. While Caesar had conquered the world as he knew it and expanded the rule of Rome, he had nothing on God. Nothing at all in comparison with what God possessed. That God was the creator of all things, that God was almighty. And God was so different than the emperor. So Jesus told them, go ahead and give to the emperor what is his, which is really not much. Go ahead and give him that coin, but give to God the things that are God's. And that's everything. Everything that Caesar has is really God's. He may think it's his. He may think that he has conquered all of this and he possesses everything in the world. But really, God owns it all. We are to give to God what is God's. We are to give everything to God. So what is that everything for you here today? You may think this morning that you have very little. But a true assessment of ourselves would show that our everything is really quite a lot. There have been a lot of articles uh, here lately just about hunger and about the difference between the poor and the rich in the world. And let me tell you, as Americans here today, uh, of probably all different socioeconomic strata, which is a great thing about our church... Even still, we are so much richer than anyone else in the world. Do you live on a dollar a day? A dollar a month? Like so many other people do in the world? Probably not. You have clothes on your back today. You have had something to eat I mean, it may have been a donut, but that's something. You have your health. You are here today. You had some form of transportation to be able to get here today. You have something. God has provided for you. But the words of Jesus here invite us to look more closely at what we do have, to count our many blessings, naming them one by one. This is an exercise to see how blessed we are, but not to stop there. You see, that's where we usually get into trouble, because like ancient Israel, we count our blessings and think that they are ours and really no one else's. Yet God has given to us things that are to be passed on to others. And we do so in order to remind ourselves that everything that we have is from God, and it is all to be given back to God. That is a long list, isn't it? If you're to count your blessings here today, and we'll do that more specifically as we get close to Thanksgiving. On the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we usually focus in and we write down our blessings and list them out. And we usually don't get finished with that list. It's a long list. It would take us a long while to go through. So let's just take a few things this morning that we all hold in common on our list today. First, one thing we have to give is our worship. God has given to each one of us the desire to adore, to love, and to worship. The Scripture and history show us that we can sure mess up this desire and this ability to worship. Right? There are people today who are worshipping all kinds of loves and desires and and different objects that are out there. And maybe we do the same. Even though we're here at church today and we've talked about God and we've considered God in our songs and in our scripture, it could be that we know more about worshipping other things than we do about God. But we need to recognize One way to measure how well we are doing with this particular exercise is to hear the invitation of Jesus to show Him the coin that we are using. Jesus knew that they had uh, these Roman coins in their pockets. They had their own money, and He didn't ask them for that money. He asked them to, to show Him this coin that would be used for the tax. Jesus knows the coins that we have in our pocket here today as well. Like with the Pharisees, whatever we may say about our God, the way we use our coins shows which God we are actually worshiping, doesn't it? They were actually the hypocrites, not Jesus. We are hypocrites when we say we worship God, yet our money shows that our allegiance is elsewhere. We are hypocrites when we say we love God, yet hate our neighbor. Is it ever okay to hate your neighbor? Well, you know, I've got this one neighbor that is... uh, It's okay to hate that neighbor. That neighbor's nothing like me. That neighbor doesn't have the same values and maybe doesn't read Scripture in the same way that I do. Or that neighbor's in a different religion or on the other side of the world. Maybe a different political party. We say we love God, yet we hate our neighbor. We are hypocrites when we say we have only one God, one Lord, yet we pay homage to our graven images, like the the God of our isms: nationalism, materialism, denominationalism, capitalism, narcissism, egoism, individualism, hedonism, just to name a few. What does it look like when you give to God what is God's with your worship? Our hearts are full of gratitude and affection for God as we walk out the door on a particular morning like this morning, connecting with loving God and recognizing His love for us. That's a great way to worship. You didn't, I'm just going to say this quietly, you didn't have to come here this morning to worship God. But I'm glad you did. But all along the way, I hope that your heart was lifting up praise to God for the beauty of the day. The day that God has given to you. And our minds are transformed as we love God with them. Using them for God's purposes and and plans for the world. Remember, Jesus repeated the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your mind and with all of your strength, every fiber of your being. So our strength is fully God's as we offer our very best energy and effort in everything that we do, knowing that what we do, we do not for, for ourselves or for others, but for God. We are also to give our everything with our money. As Jesus says here in our text today, we are to give to God everything that is God's. Well, God has provided us with money, be it a small or a large amount that you have in your life today. Entrusting us with it to be good stewards of how we are to use it. Realizing that we are stewards means that we will try not to get too attached to it. That's difficult, isn't it? Remembering that Jesus said that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. To have is not evil. To love it is to veer onto a path of selfishness and certain ruin. No, we are to use it wisely. Using it wisely means that we will also give it generously. Giving to build programs to help people. To offerings to help end world hunger to people who are in need, or at least more in need than we are. And there is always someone more in need than you are. To give it to a church that exists to bless the Highland neighborhood with the love of Jesus. Well, a third way we can give to God what is God's is with our service. Our tendency is to serve ourselves, usually doing so with everything that we have. We have no problem using our energies to serve ourselves. But this is the lowest level of service. It is the most popular kind, one that we are enticed to do by the best of self-servers and the smoothest of marketing campaigns. Take care of yourself Buy this for yourself. Do this for yourself. You deserve it. Smile at yourself and recognize how wonderful you are and how you need to treat yourself with kindness. We may fully intend to serve God and others first, but we can so easily get wrapped up in our own needs until there is nothing left to give to God. Or we may set out with great intentions to serve God, but we don't really know where to start. We may see it as something we do by ourselves, heading out with no accountability or mutual encouragement, resulting in the same results that we get when we try to diet or exercise alone. Where does that usually end, end up? Inactivity, right? We can fool ourselves, but it's difficult to fool other people. Here at Church for the Highlands, we realize the power of doing our service together, doing so in teams and with focus. We have had a long list of service opportunities that we've developed over the last four years, so many that it has been hard to fit them all onto one page. In fact, we couldn't fit them all on one page any longer. And at times it has felt like our service has been a mile wide and we've cheered about how many things that we do but an inch deep. What you will see on the Teams list there, uh, if you're not sitting on it, there sitting next to you, Uh, what you'll see on the Teams list there in your pew is a shorter list, one with four particular areas for us to focus our service on in this next year. And I hope that you'll take a moment during the service to circle one of those particular areas. With our vision of having every member and participant serve on at least one team. And that means you don't have to be a member to serve on a team. You are invited today to circle the one that you're already serving on or one that you would like To serve on. So we want everybody to participate. If you don't have a pen, uh, elbow your neighbor and ask to borrow hers or his and circle one. Someone will be in touch with you this next week to let you know about upcoming service opportunities in that particular area and at a time when your team will be meeting each month. And so we need to make sure that everybody is learning about what opportunities there are to serve here at and through Church for the Highlands. And so we want to be in contact with you. It has been inspiring to see what all you've been able to accomplish for God as you have served here at Church for the Highlands. And it is amazing to consider what all will happen in days ahead as that service continues. Isn't it incredible to think about what our church does, about what you do on any given week. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Sadly, the hypocrites who tried to trap Jesus were making a living when they could have made a life. Let us set out this next week, making a life by giving to God what is God's. Let us pray.